welcome once again to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 78. As always, a reminder to please rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend of our little podcast. Growing by the day. Tremendous to see the interactions all over the planet. Digging our little show. I appreciate you, the loyal listeners. This week, we uh, it's, not, it's not crazy like it has been in past weeks, but we did have the CONCACAF Under-20 Championships, and Keith Costigan, who called the games for Fox, the semifinal and the final, will join me to discuss where this team is, where this program is going, and how soon we will start winning World Cups. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're getting a little antsy. Later in stoppage time, I will give you more reason, thanks to the under-20s, why if you want to be a judge, if you want to break down everything about the U.S. men's national team, well, you have to watch Major League Soccer. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, or any way around it. That's it. That's coming up at stoppage time. And what's been a pretty crazy, uh, exciting summer market thus far and it's going to get crazier all over the league certainly some big news breaking out of toronto we'll talk about that and uh, the silly season that's happening in europe which uh it's kind of hard to 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 follow because there's so these rumors are starting to blend in with the actual transfers and because they can't sign at a certain date you uh you get ahead of yourself so there you have it the soccer og rate review download subscribe tell a friend let's go And we are back. Currently watching Boca Juniors Corinthians. Uh, Copa Libertadores round of 16. Great competition. Tune in if you can. It is. Uh, it was a tough couple years. I am one part of the broadcasters who do this. I'm not doing the round of 16 because we have busy midweek stuff coming up here for MLS. Hope to get back in there for the quarterfinals. But it's an incredible tournament. And you have the heavyweights, Boca Juniors, River Plate, um... Atletico Mineiro, who've already advanced to the quarterfinals. Obviously, the two-time reigning champions, Palmeiras. You have to watch Palmeiras just for them alone because it really is a super team. It's a it's a top, easily top 20 team in the world. I would even say pushing top 12, 13. I know that sounds crazy, but they're not really selling some of their players. And they are selling some, but those that they do sell, they replenish. It's a remarkable uh, factory right now, Palmeiras. Great stadium. And I think they're going to win three straight Libertadores, which would put them in a historically elite company. So check it out. Also, if you get to see Fortaleza, I think a Fortaleza can make a run. Their home stadium at the Castelao is just breathtaking. So all the fans are back after two years with COVID. It was very hard to call the games, but uh, it's much better now. Time, Great time to loon that. And tune into the Copa Sudamericana, which is like the Europa League. There's some big teams there. Santos, Sao Paulo, Lanús. Among others, Nacional of Uruguay. So and check that out, because there's always football going on, and the, we got the women's Euros coming on. That should be uh, exciting as well to see if some European teams can get to the status where they can compete against the U.S. in a World Cup, because the U.S. have just distanced themselves. Yes, Canada won the Olympic gold medal, but that is still the gold standard is the World Cup, and the U.S. were untested. And so got some new players coming. But I want to see competition. I know a lot of people watch the U.S. women to see them just smoke teams. Uh, I want to see. It's it's good for the women's game if you can have competition at the top. Not just two or three countries, but eight or nine. 
uh, where the group stages are a little more competitive because it's not quite there yet, right? So we've got a lot to look forward to. Coming up in the business end, I'll talk to Keith Costigan. We'll discuss the under-20s successfully lifting the CONCACAF under-20 championship for a third straight time. Uh, in stoppage time, we'll talk. I will give you all the reasons why MLS is a necessity for you to watch. And I'm not talking about tuning in for LAFC and uh, the Galaxy. There is different levels of of must-watch football that if you want to be an educated and informed soccer fan in the U.S., you have to watch. You can't ignore it. I know some fans, it's it's a badge of honor to say, ah, don't watch MLS. Beneath me, not interested. Well, if you want to talk about the U.S. men's national team, you got no choice. <laughs> and uh, these under-20s are a big reason why. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretto. has got a new video there about the under-20s. And we will move forward. Oh, look, Juan Roman Riquelme. There he is at La Bombonera, which is packed. All these great Boca Juniors legends. That's the first thing I broadcast when I got into the business. Is uh, El Fútbol de Primera, Clásico del Domingo, which was always the big game of Sunday. It would be Boca River or Racing Independiente or River San Lorenzo. One of those. Velez Sarsfield's in the uh, Copa Libertadores round of 16-2. That's good to see. We will be muscling through here uh, as we get towards uh, this World Cup cycle. And it's all playing into that. And I felt like we could come up for some air here. But there isn't any spots to come up for air. And the silly season in Europe is setting up very nicely. Uh, some clubs, I think, are just going to, it's going to explode here, right? Like Manchester United's been quiet and it's going to just happen in just big, broad strokes. And we have all the people to do it. Fabrizio Romano and David Ornstein, all these guys who break the stories can be very busy. And we love it. We soak it all in. The Soccer OG podcast. Check out our library of shows. Happy to have you here. We're going to get right into the business end with Keith Costigan. Stick around for stoppage time. Thank you for your support. Let's go. As good a time as ever to talk the FIFA Under-20, pardon me, the FIFA, we are talking the FIFA Under-20 World Championships because that's where the U.S. Under-20s are headed next year in Indonesia. The man who called the games for Fox, Keith Costigan, a friend of the Soccer OG, joining me in the business end. And please tell me you're going to Indonesia to cover this. Oh, I've already booked my. <laughs> I wish, man. But where uh, is it? I, mean, I don't even know where it is. I go. I think Indonesia. And I immediately think Bali and, I, you know, cocktails and beaches and massages for five dollars. And but it's probably not there. It's probably in the capital no, and it's a little I, more I industrious. I don't, picture, I don't picture anybody sending either of us because they're like, it's 20 minutes till game time. Bredos and Costigan are still not there. And it's just like, we're on our way. We're on our way. Um, no, Hold I mean, on. It's. Bredos, you're sunburnt again. I'm sorry. I'll wear an SPF 50 next time. But that's, a, that's a nice reward, certainly, for the players as they get to experience this. But uh, I always talk to folks and when we get the benefit of calling games. And the reality is when you call a game, you're so locked into everything. You're not getting up to the fridge. You're not, it, it gives you an incredible perspective of what happens. So I, I'm thrilled to talk to you about that because I know in the semis in the final, you guys, you and Mo Adu were involved in, in broadcasting what was an absolute triumph. Uh, I know it's, I, I know we temper 
expectations because it's CONCACAF and Mexico were down and Canada wasn't providing the shine that they had on the senior level, which was disappointing. But that said, this was, I mean, this certainly those last two games, and you could say for the whole tournament where they scored 31 goals, this was a no doubter. They went down there. These games were over very early into the first half, and you knew who was going to crown the champion. How impressive of that of of that was it, or was that? Do you think we should expect that from a group like this, which we really were seeing together for the first time? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think we should have that expectation in this region that we're going to be at the top level. I, I don't buy into. I've got a lot of people, you know, the haters out there who are like, "Well, Mexico and Canada didn't make it to the final stages." I'm like, exactly, we did. They didn't. So that's not our problem. Like they fell in moments where they probably should have done better. Mexico going out to, to Guatemala. I can't remember who knocked out Canada in the earlier round. Um, but, 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 I would, but I would say this, it was a surprising tournament, but in yeah. the midst of all the surprises, you had this consistent just train going yeah. through it in the U.S. Yeah, and, and that's it. Like it's like when other teams are, are, you know, having those slips and the U.S. at this level, look, Mexico dominated this level for so long. The U.S. have now won three straight at the U20 level. So I think we can start to talk about, are we developing players at a better rate? Are we developing, is our model better that we're sending these players abroad quickly and so on. So, but um, yeah, I, I mean, the impressive thing for me was the fact that we, we, we never, we never looked in trouble throughout the tournament. I looked at the semifinal myself and Mo spoke before I thought Costa Rica gave us a, a decent test in the quarters, yeah. but Honduras away, you knew the crowd were going to be up for it. They're at home. And Honduras have a really good track record against the U.S., knocking us out of tournaments in the past. And that first half in the semifinal was as good as I've seen from any U.S. team. It was we tried to play. We were expressive on the ball. You know, our, our press was suffocating. Honduras couldn't get out of their own half. It was 3-0 at halftime. It could have been 5 or 6-0 at halftime. That's how good it was. So, you know, Nick, uh, Dominican Republic, excuse me, in the final, I expected us to win. They had gone on a run where... I think they had taken, they were like, we're going to the World Cup, we're going to the Olympics. Our job is done. Anything else is a bonus. Still, you don't want to, you don't want to lay an egg like that. And no, that was no, just, no. that was no, hard to don't. watch at times because it was such a dismantling. Yeah, but, but even within that, I, I go back to that semifinal, the way we handle their business. And then I like the fact that Mikey Vera said, look, I'm going to make changes for the final. He's made six changes. We went 3-0 up in the first half. Very different performance to the Honduras uh, performance. I didn't think we played as well, but the second half, we were so dominant. We were rampant. And you look throughout the group, it's, you know, I was asking Mo, me and Mo were, me and Mo had a conversation like maybe an hour and a half after the game. I was saying, look, the next logical step for this group is we have to challenge because we've gone to the quarterfinals of World Cup stages, but the way we've qualified, it, it bodes well. I was really impressed. And that uh, you, you make a good point because when you think of the under 20s, you know, we've watched these tournaments and the US get good results and then they clip a hurdle yeah. in the knockout stages when you, you, there was a couple of times in recent competitions where you're like, they're in position to maybe at least make a semi or a final or dare say win this, but this team's going to come in here in the best shape, obviously than pass. I, I, we could argue about the talent. I would say there is certainly more depth in, in a team like this that based on what we've seen in past under twenties and the trajectory going in the right way, if once we know the field, obviously we don't, we'll see the players that go there that the U S have to be considered amongst the favorites in some capacity. No. Yeah. It, yeah. This was, this was Mo's argument. Mo was going at me afterwards. He's like, you're asking me to make a, an opinion. I don't know these other teams. I don't know. And I agree with that. 
But I'm saying take everything aside, what we do, what we can do. The last U20 World Cup, if I'm not mistaken, Ukraine won it. Yes. We played Ukraine in the group stage. I think we tied Ukraine in the group stage. We beat France in the second round. We ended up losing a couple of your guys, Sifu and, and uh, Palacios, for right. the Ecuador team that beat us. Uh, I think Sifu actually scored a, 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 a top-quality goal in that game as well. So I, I think the steps have been taken under Tab Ramos. And, yeah, the expectation now should be – I mean, look, we, we were calling a game the other day where Jack McGlynn – we were talking about last season, he's played 23 times in MLS. You know, before we'd be saying, this kid is looking at going to university of wherever and it's has true. never played a pro game. So why not? Like, you know, why it's not? New. Have those ex- new. Yeah. Why, why not unique. have those expectations? So I would go there and, and say that, look, we shouldn't be worried about whoever we play. We shouldn't be saying if we get a good draw. I think the way the U.S. play, the style... Um, and there was a real style to the performances as well. We must add that in. What, why not have the expectation that we should be challenging like Ukraine did four years ago for, uh, for a U-20 World Cup crown? I, that's a great point. And I, I think someone overlooked because these kids would be going to college and we may not be hearing from them. But now that MLS in particular and the U.S., uh, the apparatus within U.S. is taking over the reins of developing these players. They're becoming professional earlier, which is great because you're showing them a pathway to making money, which is kind of what is at the bottom of all this. And that's just going to grow. I mean, we're in the infancy of that. And that transition to me has to provide uh, a spark that this could be a a country that develops players like major American countries in in South America uh, in mass. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, I always thought about, you know, we had a certain type of player in the U.S., but we saw different types of guys yeah. that you don't see. I mean, Paxton Aronson and Alvarado Jr. and Diego Luna are the kind of players that we didn't used to develop, right? We like the hard-nosed, not these creative types. Yeah. And several of them that are so technically gifted, that's something that maybe we've had one or two guys, not four or five, that could fill yeah. that role. Yeah, right? and, and, and I think... I, I always get annoyed when people do their whole projections for, you know, World Cup 2026. This should be our starting lineup. And I'm like, every year, our U20 group should be bringing through one or two that immediately challenge the, the old guard. And you look at this group again and you say, I, I can look in every line and I can see a potential first team player. I think Serginio Des played in, in the, the World Cup four years ago. Um, I'm blanking on the other player who did as well. Who, who made, uh, Tim Way. Tim Way played as well. Um, and uh, Chris Richards. So you should be looking at two or three of these players. I look at Cuevas at right back. I thought he was outstanding. I thought Craig was really good at center back as well. Alvarado Jr. is a player I've followed for an awfully long time, really mature mentally as well, which, is, which bodes well. Um, and, and yeah, Paxton and, and, and McLean, for me, top quality players. Paxton... <laughs> And McGlynn in that left foot. I mean, that's, oh, we don't oh. see that. Yeah, we don't no, see it's, that. It, it's, but we've set, you know, when we start the academy system and everything, and people come say it, everyone's going to try to take credit. But when you start the academy system, within two years, it was like, where's the results? It takes time. And I talked to Tommy Wilson, who's the academy director at Philadelphia Union, four of his players. And he said, someone told him, it takes around eight to 10 years to really have everything become functioning as a culture. And I think we're seeing that now. We're seeing 
clubs all around and you're seeing players at 16. Hang on a minute. They're not with the academy anymore. They're already playing with the reserves. Some of them making first team appearances. Luna was in USL and was spotted and was signed by an MLS team. And uh, yeah, all of those things are, are we're starting to have a, a mechanism that competes. And that is going to develop more and more players. So it's exciting. Doesn't automatically mean, look, England have had the mechanism for years and, you know, they only start competing recently for, for youth World Cup crowns. Doesn't mean it's going to happen automatically, but it is a step in the right direction. I'm looking at the under-20 team that lost to Ecuador in 2019, and it, it's a pretty, pretty loaded squad. You mentioned Sergio Dest and Tim Weah and Conrad de la Fuente, who yeah. was a, a brighter star there. As well, Chris right? Richards was yeah, on yeah. there. Uh, Alex Mendez, Sebastian Soto, Paxton, Palmy Call. It's good. I yeah. mean, but I, I, I think there's something with this team that provides the two or three stars that haven't developed quite yet, but uh, another line of players they can go through. I'm looking at the bench and it's pretty, it's okay. Um, Mark McKenzie, Julian Araujo, yeah. Ulysses Giannis. Um, this team, and you just mentioned guys, and I could even mention a couple more that kind of impressed me uh, that you wouldn't expect. Uh, I got like Edelman, who, who was a, yeah, he was really good. On locked the ball, it down. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it's, so at different positions of this technical skill that enjoy to play, Nico Tsakiris, uh, by the way, was 17 on the field the other day. Sorry, this say it again. Nico, Nico Tsakiris, yep. 17 years of age on the field the other day. This is U20s. So, That's, you know, <laughs> a, a, again, we're, we're not talking about kids that just turned 20 that are just about available. They were all 17, 18, uh, 19. Obed, yeah, Obed yeah. Vargas has played a lot this season for the Sounders, 16 years of age. Um, he, he's, he's in the mix as well. So, Wait, so much, that, so much. Because you are the Sounders to. announcer, as everyone knows. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... What is your rate on Obed Vargas? Because he's the kind of player that's hard to, um, I think, for the naked eye gauge because he's a very utilitarian type. You know, yeah. he does a lot of these things. So you're not seeing him nutmeg guys and do it. But there's what is it about him that's Im impressive, certainly at this early age? I, I think the first thing I noticed um, was he wanted the ball. And people are always like, well, everyone wants the ball. When you go on the field, sometimes as a young player, you go, let me not make a mistake. Let me not like... <laughs> but you see in tight areas, Obed is running towards a player going, give me the ball. I want it. And you're watching. You have to earn that respect of the Nico Ladeiros, the Rosnacks, all of those things. You're seeing when he comes on in the CCL final, he wants the ball against Pumas, and they're giving him the ball in tight areas, knowing that he's going to play. So I think it's, it's the personality that he has. Technical ability is obviously there. I don't know if he's a, an out-and-out out six. I think he's in between a six and an eight. Uh, if he does become an eight, there's an obvious need to have an end product in the final third, like goals, assists, those kind of things. But his technical ability, range of passing, reading the game. And again, I told you those, those huevos to want the ball uh, when other players don't. That, that separates him from other young players that I see set foot in the field and are just, you know, again, nothing. When I was 16, 17, I was like, just don't even give me the ball when I was playing with the reserves. He wants the ball, uh, isn't afraid to make mistakes. And that, that tells me that he, he has a bright future. I think that's great. And I, I, when people watch the sport, always a reminder of if you really want to, you know, judge a, a player and how to look at him, I think that's a, a great way to do it. How often is he getting involved in the play? How, how eager is he to get there? Because those are those little traits that you may not see when you're just watching a game for a game's purpose. But there you go. There's something Keith knows. And you could be you could be able to see what separates a guy like that who plays that certain position I, it's it's just so hard to single anyone out it was a very collaborative effort but it still was a sexy effort 
I mean, guys getting Aaron's are getting seven goals. Um, you, you know who, what I like that at the end? I don't know whether you saw. He was on seven. Quinn Sullivan was on six. And he went into the yeah. six-yard box, and he tried a little back heel to get Quinn his seventh goal. So the fact that they were both fighting for that position, but he was like, look, this is I'm going to still play the right pass. There was every coach we talked to will tell you, we have a great chemistry, we have a great culture. But you got that sense from this group that they had a great chemistry and a great culture. But, you and really did. With that said, there was a time where there was four Philadelphia Union players on the field at one yeah. point. When you include Craig, who is the maybe the unheralded one, uh, the I, other I like three, him. I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. but that's the. Th I mean, the other three are already projected for you know a big European move whenever they might be ready, probably sooner than later. And all this Paxton Aronson to, you know, Salzburg talking, talk to follow in his brother's footsteps, perhaps, and the debate which Aronson's better. And you would laugh at the Paxton debate, but you don't laugh at that anymore. And that's taking nothing away from Brendan Aronson. That's how how good he has looked. But the four players from one club, how big of a difference do you think that made? I mean, because you could see certainly times the comfortable nature those had, especially the trio, uh, McGlynn Sullivan and, and Aronson, because they're always together. Whether they're yeah, on the yeah, I, I think it's big because you remember Mikey Veris only took the job, I think, last November. So the idea that you have all this time to like build a, a, an identity, he, he kind of talked to us about simplifying everything and, and some of the simplifying thing is we know what we want from these players they play together and interact in that way so let's just plug them out from there and in here now what fits around them so i, I felt that was that was one of the things that we we did really well we we, we picked players that you know balanced off each other well we saw Jalen neil and for play at times at center back together they played together at the club level as well uh, Cuevas has played with those guys at club level a little bit younger too. So you could sense there was an understanding pretty, pretty early between this. But uh, again, I, I go, it's, they weren't at differing levels of um, experience. Um, they weren't a couple of years ago, even I think Gio Reyna, I think we didn't make it out of the group stage of, of the U-17s where Gio Reyna looked on a different page to other players and it looked like there was a disconnect. Yeah, these these are all young players coming up together, similar experiences, similar professional experiences. Like Alejandro Alvarado Jr. has already played in the in in the Portuguese top league, so I, I think they're coming they're coming of age together. Rather than we have two pros and we have two kids who are still going on college visits, we have you know players who are lost in the academy mix. We didn't have that this time, and I think I think Mikey Veras and the rest of his staff take a, a lot of credit for just. It looked to me like simplifying it, not over, over, you know, complicating uh, a situation. Put the players in the right positions and let them play, and, and that's what that's what it looked like to me. He did. Uh, he, he looked the reins off, but I think Mike Viveros is a big part of the story because uh, there was uh, there were some lineups that came out. You're like, huh? Well, like, okay. Like I think the Luna in, in the semifinal was one of those not starting him, and six changes from the semi to the final, and not missing a beat. Not no. that's a guy who in a short time got to know his team pretty well. And clearly they like playing for him. And I think it is now hearing you say it, maybe it's that allowing these kids to express themselves without micromanaging it too much. And I don't know what's going on, but that it felt this freedom about their play that came through the screen that uh, that's a, that was a slam dunk for us soccer to get this guy in there because uh, the results are certainly answer the questions. Yeah, yeah, and it's a difficult youth national team jobs are really difficult because to get all your players together. I mean, he even told us he said Alvarado Jr. hasn't been in the last few camps. We've had to just talk to him via phone. Like 
build a rapport that way. And I don't think Alvarado Jr. came into the tournament as what you would qualify as a starter, but by the end of the tournament, he certainly he played. Look, he played the 10 in the semifinal, started the final as a six. So that shows you his, you know, uh, footballing IQ. Um, but I, I, again, I think Mikey Veras was smart enough to recognize those things and react quickly enough to make the product on the field what it was. And it, look, you'll still get the haters. You'll still get the, well, we beat Honduras Dominican Republic. We're supposed to beat them. Yeah, but those teams are the ones that, you know, basically were the, the side of the draw where Mexico were supposed to get the job done and they didn't. That's not our fault. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I agree with you. And it, the, I, I still think the Honduras victory is a very telling one. Just when you compare what the senior team went through and the difficulties they have playing in Honduras and the history with Honduras at this level to qualify for at that point was for the Olympics. They had already uh, qualified for the under uh, under 20 world cup, but it was a, a clinical effort and more power to them. They, that is still a difficult feat. I think those folks in Honduras thought they were going to see some crowning achievement. They thought that they were going to be the boogie bogey team again for the U S and it was could not be further from the truth as the U S scored early and then separated themselves. Uh, we, do we talk about how we can gauge the big picture of U.S. soccer from how the youth teams do it? And we, we, we mentioned Mexico, and they had a great run when they started succeeding in the under-17s and under-20s, going back to when Vela and Chicharito and others were uh, beginning their careers at 16, 17 years of age. Uh, England's become a, a, a strong national team, and paralleling that, their under 17s and under 20s are becoming more and more yeah, successful. Really just, just won the U19 championship as well. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a, I, I, you know, Mexico didn't reach a World Cup semifinal or a Euro final like England did, but they had, uh, you know, it, it kind of, the crack showed there, but they still had a successful run. But I think the U.S. can have a lot of um, enthusiasm and aspire to be like that. I think England could be a good example where the, a rising tide lifts all boats. And now England, when the Harry Canes uh, of the worlds start to move away, they have the guys that slip right in there from the youth ranks that could continue a succession of dominance for them. I think it appears to be that way, but the U S that conveyor belt works uh, success will come, right? These, this will have to lead to deep tournament runs. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you would hope so. Look, there's, there's, there's obvious examples of where it hasn't translated, like Nigeria's dominance at sure. youth national team level just hasn't turned into, into something. Mexico, you mentioned, um, you know, they've had World, uh, World Cup success, and you look at that generation, you're like, okay, well, they didn't do anything at the next level. Um, you, you could argue that it, it, it's not, you know, it's not a straight line. It's not, well, you're successful here. It's obviously you're going to be successful, but I think it's a good indicator. I think if you look at Brazil's, the Argentinas, they are, always have one or two or three players that you're like, wow, that team did really well. And they're going to become immediate, you know, uh, next level players. And I, I think we're moving in that direction. Um, I think when you look at a Paxson Aronson the other day, you're excited about seeing him play on the world stage um, against the Brazils, against the Argentinas, against the France. And, and being on a level playing field, I don't think that's always been the case. Um, but, but I think it's important that we, we make those steps at the youth level and then have the discussion. Why is it not happening at the higher level if it isn't? But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on, the, on the, the full national team as well because I think, you know, we were the youngest team in qualifying and we have some players that, you know, are in, in and around that youth level that are already with the full national team. So Greg's shown, a, a, you know, uh, an ability to bring those players through and that's, that's a really important part of this pathway. 
Yeah, and I was in, I was uh, inspired also by how how they played against the non concacaf teams because when we had that Morocco and Uruguay, I was like, that was a good response. Yeah, That's the really kind of good. test. Yeah. And I'll be curious to see these September games as well that give me the belief that and we used to poo poo the uh, the FIFA rankings because they were way off. They're not that way off anymore. I mean, it's a it's a reflection off of where these teams are performing, and they're at 14, 15, which would say they should make the round sixteen, which I think is a good target, and. I, I would imagine they achieve that. And if you can get to the round of 16, why not a quarterfinal? And I, then we, then this sport goes to another level. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it doesn't feel out of reach by any means. And if I, not, I they can set the think, table for 26. Yeah, I still think the first team, w- w- what I said about the U20s and what I was arguing with, with Mo was, forget about who we get. This team should be challenging at the, the business end of that tournament. Regardless of the draw, don't say if we get a favorable draw or you never know if we stay away from Brazil. No, we should be competing. I think with the full national team, we're still saying if you get a favorable draw in the round of 16. I still don't look at that group and say we can compete against the, 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 the Frances and the Brazils and the Argentina over the course of a full tournament. I, I don't. Anybody else? Yes. And, and I actually think... England, because the familiarity there between the, the groups, I, I, I don't think there's that fear factor with England that there might be with a Brazil or an Argentina. So I do think we can compete there. But yeah, I, I mean, once you get to the round of 16 at the full national team, I mean, England's draw or, or run to the, the final last time wasn't as difficult as others have been. So it, it, it does, you're at the mercy of the draw. US get a, a decent draw. They could go deep in the competition. So I'm excited about the under 20 world cup for these kids because it's sooner. And then they have the Olympics, which was nice. And I, the uh, three Olympics that the U S missed, obviously very disappointing. And people would say, Hey, it really hurts our uh, development. And I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate. And I'm glad that some kids are going to get a chance. It may not be kids. It might be these older, the over 23, uh, the three guys that go over uh, that'll get that opportunity. And I just not excited about the Olympics. I'm excited those that those guys get to experience the Olympics. And I'm excited that uh, it'll get some eyeballs. That's a good part of it. But the tournament itself is, you know, it's compromised because some teams send their best. Some don't. It's taken a little more seriously. And again, this is a nice thing. And I don't want to be a downer about it all. But to me, that is down the pecking order of, of things that they should be aspiring to now. I wish it was a, an under 20 tournament or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. And these kids get to play, but I know that's not the case. And I, I'm, I imagine if they wave the carrot to Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney, who would be eligible that they'd probably take it, but then it just feels all weird. Right. It's like, yeah, but I, I look back, I think Messi did Messi win a gold in 2006. No, 2000. Uh, he won. It was like, yeah, I think it was two, uh, maybe 2010, maybe Brazil, Brazil, Mexico. And then, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. 2008. Yes. Um, yeah. Brazil won. Neymar won. So I, I, I'm with you. I don't like automatically go. I can't wait for Olympic soccer because it's just it doesn't it's it, it doesn't this, go the same way as the this World last Cup. tournament. I know it was affected by COVID was un, yeah. for me unwatchable. I yeah. So I, I understand that. But having said that, when it happens now that we're there. I'll be excited for it. I don't think it will be something that, you know, a year in advance, I'll be like, hey, what's your Olympic team? Um, but it gives you an opportunity to compete in another competition. It gives you an opportunity to see us compete. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know who would coach the team. I don't think it'd be Greg, maybe Mikey, maybe somebody else. Um, so it's another opportunity to compete. That's it. But yeah, for me, 
you know, it, the, the most important part, Mikey even said it, yeah, we love winning tournaments, but our job is to create players for the first team. And that's ultimately, you know, the Olympics. If we see someone step out and shine at 21, this is a first-team player, and then they move on. That, uh, that's the big storyline. History shows that I, I think, and these are very inaccurate numbers, that maybe three or four of maybe, – maybe four or five of these guys that play on the under-20s end up playing some meaningful matches for the senior team. What would you, what, what's a good number we should set it of, of this group? Maybe it's, I, I not, maybe it's you, not even five historically. Maybe it's closer to three yeah, or so. Yeah, I, I think if you have three players um, moving on, I, I, think, I think last time we played in the CONCACAF U, U20 championship, like Alex Mendes hasn't made the breakthrough. I thought he would. Alex hasn't made the breakthrough. Uh, he was on the field down. for that Ecuador game too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, really good player for me, but he hasn't made the breakthrough. Um, I, think, I think I saw Jerome Kiesevetter's name on one of those lists as well. And I'm like, now... I mean, Jerome's career didn't go the direction we thought it might go. It's really, really difficult, the next step. If you get three, I think you're successful. Now, that doesn't mean I don't look at this group and see more than three potentials, but that's the reality of it. Things happen. Um, the step up is, is too big for some, um, you know, injury, all of those things. So if you have three players out of this group that are moving on, I think we're doing well. Any predictions for uh, under twenties? What what do we set it? I said semifinals. Yeah, I, you know, you know, for me, I, I think we go there with no fear. I think no fear. we have to. Yeah, we have Indonesia to play. away from the epicenter. Yeah, the South I, Americans I, and the Europeans. I I think we have to play that way. I don't want to go. I've seen some tournaments where we go and we talk about we're going to be this team and that team, and then you go and you're like, oh my god, there's like twenty three shots for the opposition. We have two. Like it's. I, I don't get that sense with this group. Um, so I think we should go with no fear. Again, I mentioned the last U20 World Cup was Ukraine. Um, and they, they had a couple of really key professional players that broke through from that group. I think, I think the expectations are to be a Final Four team at that World Cup. And, and then let's see what happens. And um, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's a year away, but I'm really excited for it. Me too. And that's what we say, just filling out the calendar and building it up so we have a lot of more things. And these kids made us proud. They whitewashed in that tournament. Still looked fresh as a daisy at the very end of it, like they could have played three or four more games. Keith Costigan, soccer broadcaster extraordinaire. I'll see you in the Western Conference Finals at Bank of California in uh, what's think, the late we October. See, we see each other in a few weeks, right? I'm looking forward to that. On the, <laughs> I think it might be the end of the month. So, you know. Yes. I'm we, not calling we, it, but I'll be in the building. I am going to say, I'm going to say, we love all the attention you guys are getting. It's just building you guys up. It's like everybody. I don't know if they've given you the trophy yet. If you've, if you've. Oh, it's there. It. It's there. It's being engraved <laughs> right now. But no, look, it's great for the league. What, what, what? Um, you know, I saw Chiellini. I think you posted the video today. Chiellini working with the younger players, and he just smacks a professional. Yeah, you know? it was. I was uh, watching. This yeah. is so cool, and he's like yeah, telling no, this is where you got to be. I'm like, this is it. This is he it. He just comes across as a great character. By the way, Oliver Curry, who works with your, uh, your. Um, kit department i think I, I know oliver really well speaks really good italian i'm sure yeah. he's really enjoying the fact that him and chiellini are going to be best mates i beat well. you i beat you to it keith because <laughs> when i did the press conference for chiellini i wanted to say something in italian and oliver helped me yeah, and he helped me good. knock it out of the park <laughs> and the italian contingent all clapped and go yeah bravo i was like man grazie signori benvenuti a los angeles yada 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 uh went out went out great so uh oliver definitely coming through in the clutch with my italian but uh as i said uh, even Toronto, all this stuff with Toronto today, Ooh, it's all, this is an exciting league to cover. Yeah. And the under 20s make it even more exciting. Yes. You have to watch this if league, if you want to really talk about 
U.S. soccer and the national team. You got to watch this league. Yes, so I agree. I agree. Good stuff, Keith. Always great to chat with you. Let's do it again soon. And I'll Thank see you, you at Max. the end of the month. See you at the end of the month. Keith yes, Costigan. I look forward to it. Keith Costigan here in the business end. We'll be back with stoppage time after this. Time now for stoppage time. And as we use the under-20s as a springboard, uh, I sent a tweet out. Some people didn't like it and said it was like a bit of a bummer that uh, it was a wet blanket over the under-20s. But I just wanted to point out, because I've had so many discussions, we have a very sensitive fan base. And when I said a tweet, I go, for those that hate MLS, and that's the people that tell me they don't watch it under any circumstance, they would rather watch paint dry. They say it. They don't watch it. And then they come in and say, I want to have an informed opinion about the U.S. men's national team. Well, you can if you don't watch MLS, and you could see the reasons why. So it wasn't an attack at people who do watch MLS. If you watch MLS, even if you're critical of it, this was not an attack on you. This was pretty crystal clear going at those who do not watch the league under any circumstance. And you have to. If you want your opinion to matter, A, you have several players, Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Paul Ariola, whether you agree with them or not, they're on the national team. So you need to know about how they're performing. Jesus Ferreira. And to compare and contrast to those that are playing in Europe. And right now, some of the ones in Europe aren't matching the production. Jordan Mars is an interesting one. I mean, yeah, he's had his chances to get on the national team, but he is producing. And there's no games going on in Europe. So you should be encouraged to watch MLS now so you can get educated on this. It's, you know, education is power, knowledge is power. And this is where MLS has center stage, but there's so many great reasons to watch it. Obviously, the national team players. But now with the under-20s. The under-20s that are going to be here for at least a year or so. All those guys we mentioned, 90% of that team plays in MLS. Paxton Aronson, Caden Clark, uh, Jack McGlynn, Quinn Sullivan, the Philadelphia guys, Cade Cowell. Alvarado plays in Portugal, as we talked about it with uh, Keith. And there's going to be, most of these guys are going to go to Europe, and they're going to be replenished because the the conveyor belt is pumping, right? We've seen it. And I, I feel the way I felt about the U.S. team maybe in a couple years that you'd feel about Brazil or Argentina, just a glut of talent where the world is turning to to find its next player. So many different guys playing at positions. So many special players, specialty players in this U.S roster so support the kids you got to support the kids no those are our kids all of us as american soccer fans we've adopted them they belong to us we got to take care of them we got to make sure they uh, uh they don't get picked on uh they don't get uh, filled a bill of goods told a bill of goods or whatever we got to defend them because they're ours so that's it we're all like parents in this thing so I think this under-20 World Cup is just a good reminder, and that's why. So don't get sensitive. we gotta, we got to not be so fragile as a fan base. And let's have a proper discourse. Don't repeat talking points. Um, just come out at it, and let's be honest. Now, the other thing about MLS, by the way, it's never a dull minute. The, the marketplace used to be pretty obvious and uneventful. Not anymore. 
And it's just beginning. And we've already had Chiellini and Gareth Bale. And this is a big week. Everyone should tune into LAC in the Galaxy. Although Bale probably won't play. Uh, and Chiellini, maybe. Maybe a few minutes. By the way, uh, I was talking to some folks there because uh, LAFC has a pipeline to Peñarol and there was chatter that they were pretty close when he was a younger player to get Darwin Nunez. There's a lot of Peñarol players on LAFC, but Darwin Nunez was earmarked to come to LAFC. It's that close with some of these South American players. LAFC is beating and overpaying in many ways to get these South American players that maybe a year later would have gone to a European team and who knows become the next Kun Aguero, become the next Gabriel Jesus. You got to let him develop and some guys do and it's going to happen here. Imagine Darwin Nunez here and he's scoring 25 goals and all of a sudden, oh my God, we have one of the best strikers here. It's not far-fetched. It could happen. Some of these young under-22s that was part of that program are starting to deliver. Dylan Barrero, I don't know if you guys seen him at New, New England Revolution. Incredibly exciting player. He's uh, come over from Atletico Mineiro. Hasn't quite developed, but now he is. That's the kind of player we're talking about. It just might click. And yeah, you have the uh, Tiago Almadas that may or may not deliver. We uh, we saw Ezequiel Barco. It didn't really deliver here. Some of these guys are. What about Leo Chu? Now 22 years of age, came to the Sounders. He's been really dynamic as a winger for them. Talis Magno, the New York City FC. One of these guys are going to become a world star, and you're going to see it here. This is not me projecting and saying, oh, no, it, law of averages. No, it's going to happen. We're getting really close to it. That Nunez thing is, is a perfect example. South Americans are coming here. So MLS is really taking a big spot in the development of players. And we saw that with the under 20s. You know, and I mean, Diego Luna is going to be the man at Real Salt Lake. That's a good enough reason to watch RSL, no? And MLS is going to take the reins of developing players, and it's bearing fruit, and it's only going to get better. They have the MLS Next Pro, and obviously that's still far from being locked in and uh, a well-oiled machine, but the talent's there. And there's a pipeline now to get to where you want to go and be a professional. And these kids are seeing it, and they're picking this in front of other sports. I mean, there's a lot there. The Toronto FC. <laughs> Toronto FC, very active as... Oh, well, here's another one. Brenner at FC Cincinnati came over, was... What, $16 million transfer, record-breaking transfer. He hasn't clicked. And people are going, oh, he's a bust. But remember, he's, this is a kid. He's got five goals in three games, I believe. He had a hat trick. And now Brenner is someone you have to keep an eye on. And let me tell you, they're keeping an eye on him in South America, and they're keeping an eye on him in Europe. It's not an isolated incident with these South American kids. MLS is doing a great job with that. The scouting is on song. And now you have what Toronto FC are doing. If you're not compelled by this, then you're not excited. Alejandro Pozuelo, obviously Lorenzo Insigne, Domenico Cricito have signed. Now they move Alejandro Pozuelo to open up a DP spot, and we're hearing Federico Bernadeschi. He's 28 years of age, coming out of Juventus. And now you have this Team Italy in Toronto, which 
Yeah, you got, you've got to watch. It's a lot of talent, man. It's look. I'm going to say this. It's far from being a perfect league. Yeah, I'm a bit of a cheerleader because I work it. I know the reason I want to stay in MLS is I know in five years, ten years, it's going to be a top five league. It's just headed on that path. Everything that's gone into it is is going that way. We're getting the best talent. South America, Central America, we're developing that with the under-20s. That's another development we did. You look at these teams uh, in that competition that the U.S. played, there's MLS players everywhere. I can vouch for two of them, Christian Torres and Tony Leone, who play for Mexico. So this is, uh, it's on. It's on. And we have flaws. And we need, we need the support. Everyone's got to tune in. And remember, it's your league. It's your league. So support it like it's your own. And pick a team. Pick a team and get into it. And hopefully if you don't live in a market, look, there's going to be some rascals. There's going to be a lot of rascals. There's going to be some games you're like, oh boy. It's not going to feel like watching the Premier League or La Liga or the Champions League. But uh, get in now. Get in now. Because I've seen it. I've seen it. There's a lot there. And we are heading to a very neck good few years. And hopefully these best American players in their prime start coming here. Because that's going to be the next thing. Guys like Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney, if they're going to pay Lorenzo Insigne $12 million to play here, why would they do that for one of those guys? The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Thanks to Keith Costigan. We're going to have some good shows. We're going to have some good conversations coming on. Uh, some big plans for the back end of the year as well. I appreciate everyone tuning in and uh, soak in the under-20s because they've given you a lot to look forward to over the next 12 months. Until the next time, Placido Domingo. <laughs>